You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I'm very thankful for Ridgecrest Baptist Church and for the commitment uh, that she has for kingdom work. And it's been on display this week. And my prayer is, is that you've been able to plug in to some of that. And uh, we do this every year, and we need to see this because it is a joyous time together in the Lord. I'm very thankful for Miss Kelsey and Mel. Wave at us, ladies. You know Kelsey and Mel. They've done a great job this week. Let's give them a round of applause. And I'm sure you'll sleep well tonight, won't you, ladies? It's been a busy week. All right. Well, good, 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 good. I have just been blessed in studying and preparing these messages from Genesis. If you're a guest of ours here today, we've been going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis to talk about the first things, the first principles of our faith, everything uh, that we build on in terms of gospel preaching and the understanding of Christ's atoning work. It all goes back to those early chapters in Genesis. These are important, crucial theologically rich passages, and so we've been soaking in the wisdom of these uh, early days of the world and the history of the world. Before there was anything like history, it's been good. And today, I want to say this, as we come to this story of Noah's Ark, we are in most ways focusing on Noah himself. I want to read the passage to you, yes, that describes the judgment of God and the building of the ark and all of those things. But really today, what we want to do as we wrap up Missions Week, we want to ask a very important question. And that question is, can one person make a difference? Because when we look at the story of Noah's Ark, we realize that it was one person that found favor with God. And because of that favor that Noah had with God, there was this amazing deliverance of Noah and his family. And we're here today because of one man who made a difference. He was filled with grace. It was a beautiful, beautiful story of grace. Yes, it's a terrible story of judgment. Absolutely. But what I want you to realize here today is this. The enemy likes to whisper in our ears that, especially on Missions Week, if there's a negative thing that happens on Missions Week, we're around these people who are incredibly gifted, clearly called, they're they're, they're great at expressing biblical truth, they're faithful, it's amazing. And what we tend to do is listen to that little voice that says, yeah, they're making a difference but you're, you're, not, you're not like that. You don't have those gifts. I want to tell you that's a lie. Just as Eve heard those lies of the serpent, we listen to those lies too. And my heart this morning is, is that you will leave here today firmly believing that you can make a difference, that you are as called as anybody in this room from the guy preaching to you to those wonderful missionaries who were carrying the flags earlier. Every single one of you have the call of God on your life. And when you receive it by grace, you will be a difference maker. I believe that. And my prayer is, is that before you walk out of here, you'll believe it too. So if you have your copy of Scripture, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. And let's pick up in verse 9. So if you will stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. 
I'm going to read uh, 9 through the end of the chapter, and then I'm going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 17, and read a few more verses. But let's, let's get this story. It's a crucial one for us today and always as we think about first things. The Bible says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. This is our key verse. He was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's basically our outline right there, okay? The character of Noah right there. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wives and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds uh, to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. And also with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. Key. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now let's skip down to kind of the end of, of the story as far as the flood goes. The flood has come. The description there is in the early verses of chapter 7. Verse 17 though. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray. The story is hard to hear, Lord. It is destructive to the uttermost. We we ought to be shaking, Lord, and your presence as we realize the penalty of sin is death. The cataclysmic judgment, Lord, that you give mankind here is the cataclysmic judgment we all deserve apart from your gracious work on the cross. We thank you that in this room are many who are covered in the blood of the Lamb and therefore rescued uh, from the eternal death, Lord, that comes to sinners and Lord, we acknowledge that that's a work of grace. But God, we want to cry out to you this morning. We know that this world is, is a difficult place. And we know, Lord, that your gospel needs to be heard. And we believe, I believe, Lord, that each of us can make a difference. 
Help us to see that, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The work of missions, the work of all ministry, let me just say this, is bigger than any one person. What God has called us to do is huge, and we are just one individual fighting back against a flood of sin. That's clearly what's going on in this passage, but I want to tell you that things have not changed that much in the world. When we, we look at the uh, ancient world, when we look at the time of Jesus, and we'll hear from Jesus today, a, a word from Matthew, here's the deal. Uh, all those times in the past, all the way to the present, the needs are still the same. We see a world filled with sin, and those of us who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know we need to make a difference. It just seems like it's too much. It's too big of a problem. Yesterday at the breakfast, the men had gathered, and the, the, the men missionaries were on the stage, and they were talking about their needs. And a multiplicity of needs were mentioned, but one common theme threaded through the whole discussion, and it was this, that every single one of our mission partners, regardless of where they are in the world, they are in desperate need of the called. They are in desperate need of people to come and be a gospel witness in those fields. We are, church, in a desperate state in evangelical Christianity, we need people who are going to receive the call of God and to believe that they are a difference maker. We have to stop looking to our left and to our right, assuming that other people are called or that other people have better gifts. No, God is calling you. I don't care if you're 5 years old, 55 years old, or 95 years old. You've got a call on your life, and it's time to surrender to it. And today, I pray, will be that day. When we rub elbows with our missionaries, we realize that these are adventurous, entrepreneurial, just crazy people sometimes. Crazy in the sense that they have walked away from uh, the other things that life uh, proffers us. They have gone away, many of them, from careers where they would have been or were even very successful. They went the way of God, and the world looks at that and thinks it's crazy, about like the world did when they saw a 600-year-old man building a giant boat, nowhere near water. When we Follow the call of God. It does not necessarily compute with a lost world. But I'm going to tell you, when you are where God wants you to be, don't worry about the world. You will have the peace that passes all understanding because you will be operating in the power of God. Genesis 7-1 tells us that Noah was the one and only light in his generation. The only one. He was the only one standing up for Jesus. And when you stand out like that, you may look crazy to those around you. But it is important that we embrace the call of God in our lives. And we don't worry about what the world says. I'm afraid that many people in the world today have a call on their lives that are in the churches that sit in pews every Sunday, but they're so worried about what the world might say. And today I pray that the Holy Spirit will, will close your ears to those naysayers, those people who say that you're not the one. Listen, God has a, a call on your life. Receive it. 
Noah's task is beyond comprehension when we look at it from a practical perspective. He had no skills in the craft of boat making. He wasn't even sure what rain was, but he had faith. And the writer of Hebrews hammers away at this point saying, By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. In other words, Noah could not possibly comprehend what was coming All he could do was be faithful in the moment. And I'm telling you, every single call from God in the moment, you don't fully understand it. You can't possibly know what's coming. But the key today is you say yes. You say yes. And then you trust that God will take over and show you the rest. We have rubbed elbows with difference makers this week. We have seen the reality that one person can make a difference. Every single one of our mission partners is proof positive that one person can make a difference. But what we cannot do is assume that that's only reserved for those 30 people or the folks that are on staff here at Ridgecrest. We need to begin to believe that we are called to make a difference as well. And let me just say this. The key to being a difference maker is character. Now, that's not fancy. Uh, that's not exactly what, what people might think. We, we, we want to think that difference makers have charisma. They have um, intellect. They have uh, political suave. They're able to just kind of get things done. Those are the people, the kinds of people that we, we lionize in politics, in, in, in government, or even in the church. But I want you to know this. A difference maker, and being a difference maker, it all starts out with your character, who you are on the inside. And I believe that God is trying to raise up some of you. You have been given some gifts. You do have what it takes. It's just time for you to be bold and walk in the way of the Lord. But we need to be people of character. And what does character look like? Well, we've seen it already in the text. Uh, Noah was a righteous man. He was a blameless man, and he was walking with God. I want to unpack that for you quickly this morning. Let's talk about this. What does it mean to be righteous? Because a difference maker is indeed righteous. The narrative, as I read it to you, if you noticed, it moves fast. It flows quickly. It has in it this uh, incredible dynamic of, 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 of wickedness and evil flooding the earth. Before the waters flooded the earth, sin had flooded the earth. And that is why cataclysmic judgment had to come. The world was crazy, gone crazy in its pursuit of sin. We saw that in chapter 4. We saw that in the lives of Lamech and others as they were going their own way. And they had gone that way for a long, long time, hundreds of years. And then there's this one man, Noah, the only one in his generation who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We were told in chapter 6, verse 11. We talked about that last week. Now I want to say this, and I'll say it several times today. Noah was by no means a perfect person. So when we're talking about character, I think one of the things we tend to do is, again, we look at at a a biblical figure and we we talk about them and think that, that we couldn't achieve that. But here's the thing. When we read the scriptures carefully, we see that all of these great champions of our faith were men and women just like us. They have the exact same emotional uh, issues. They have the same uh, foibles and failures. They're just people, but they're people that God got a hold of. 
They're people that surrendered to the Lord and thus became used of God in a mighty way. Here in the passage, in chapter 6, verse 9, we are told that Noah was a righteous man. We are told that, that he was righteous. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the most simple way of looking at it, a righteous person has a habit of right behavior. Now, think about this for a moment. This is very simple. Righteousness is a habit of right behavior. Righteousness is is consistency in godly character. In other words, we do the things that God wants us to do. God makes commands. A person must choose to obey those commands. When he does so or she does so, that is righteous. That is right. It's as simple as it gets. God speaks we obey. Now, notice the language of Genesis 6 and 7 as we've been going through it. It shows that humanity has not been consistent in obeying God. In fact, just the opposite. The one thing we know is that Noah obeyed. And we see that again and again in the text. God tells him to do this outlandish thing, build this giant boat, and there's no dialogue. We don't hear Noah uh, asking questions or clarification or complaining. That's how we know he wasn't a Baptist. But anyway, he just does it. He just does it. He obeys. God tells him to do this amazingly big, uh, audacious task, and he just obeys. Listen, the best thing you could do today as God speaks to your heart, as he begins to reveal to you his plan for your life, you may not know exactly where it's going, but please obey. Just say yes to the Lord. That's what Noah did. It's interesting. In chapter 7, verse 1, we see the personal name of God pop up. And if you'll notice in the text, it flips back and forth between Elohim and Yahweh. Uh, You can see that very clearly where it says God, that's Elohim, where it says Uh, Lord, that is Yahweh. And Yahweh is the personal name of God. And so we see this personal name in chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, that's the personal name of God. I want you to get this. Noah was a righteous man with a personal relationship with Yahweh, fueled by obedience. What we see in this text is is that God had a personal relationship with, with Noah, and Noah received that. Noah was the one good man. He stands up for God. He has a relationship with God. He surrenders to the word of God and to the will of God. That's what a right person, that's what a righteous person will do. Now, obviously, when we try to think of righteousness, one of the ways we think about it is we think in terms of opposites, right? So to help us get a better idea of of what's right, sometimes we meditate on what might be wrong. But I want to tell you to be careful there. Because when we think about the wickedness of Noah's generation, obviously, you know, we think of these guys and gals that they're just doing these horrible things, whatever sin you would classify as horrible. Uh, Put that in your mind. You think, okay, that's what they were doing. That's why God wiped them out. But Jesus says something a little bit different. In fact, listen to Jesus' take on Noah's generation. And by the way, I think think Jesus' take is probably better than yours or mine. So let's take Jesus' take on this story. He says this. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I want you to realize this. These people were eating. Hey, 
Those of you who, who like to have a nice meal, nothing wrong with that. Drinking, I don't think it means what you think it means there. I, I think just probably uh, something innocent because everything else is innocent. Marrying, giving in marriage. Here's the deal. We often like to think of the world as all this wickedness out there. Most of the people who are going to a devil's hell today are not living what we would call wicked lives. They are just oblivious to all things that are of God. These people that Jesus describes, he's not talking about the ones that are the wicked of the wicked. He's talking about those who are just oblivious to God. And I'm going to tell you, today, that same problem is out there. When you go out and knock on doors, when you talk to people, there aren't too many people out there worshiping Satan, but there's a whole lot of them that are ignoring God. And that's the way it is. And that's the reason why good men and women need to stand up and do the right thing to obey the call of God. John Wesley, he wrote this. He says, whatever God commands us to do, we are to do because he commands whether we feel any benefit thereby or not. I think sometimes when God calls us, we're like, okay, does this feel right? That doesn't matter. It's not about what we feel in terms of, uh, of what's right or wrong here. When God is, especially when it's confirmed in the word, when you're in the word and prayer and God is speaking to you, what we need to do is we need to put our feelings aside for a moment and just be faithful. That's what righteousness is. And so many people, as God is moving in their lives, maybe they have had a few moments where they were in a service like this and God spoke to them. And it's not that they, they made a deliberate choice that day to, to run towards the devil, but I'll tell you what they did do. They made a deliberate choice that day not to listen to God and they've been ignoring him ever since. And for some of us, that's our story. That's our song. We've been ignoring Jesus all the day long. He has been calling. He has been speaking. He is moving. You know that he loves you and has a big plan for you, but you've been oblivious to that. And that just isn't right. And it certainly isn't righteous. Righteous behavior flows from the heart that loves God, seeks to know God, and is willing to obey God regardless of the consequences. And if we will not do that, we will be swept away. A difference maker is also blameless. You say, okay, what's the difference between righteousness and blamelessness? Not a whole lot, but in the scriptures there is some difference. This is a lesser uh, word in the sense that it's not used as much uh, with Noah. Uh, righteousness is the word that's most often used in relationship to Noah. But this is, is also a word that is used here in chapter 6. So we need to take clo a close look at it. I want you to see something uh, here in the text that's interesting. I've alluded to it a few times maybe in the past. But when we read about Noah, he, again, doesn't say anything. I mean... He just doesn't speak. And so it's kind of hard to think, okay, what does it mean to be blameless when we never hear the guy's thoughts? We don't really hear anything about him until near the end of his story. But notice this. Here's a guy who builds a boat that is 440 feet long, 73 feet wide, 44 feet high with a displacement of 43,000 tons, a deck area of 97,500 square feet. And he does all of this in the middle of the earth where there's no ocean anywhere near him. Now, here's what's wild. He builds a boat that modern shipbuilders say would actually float. That, that this isn't like myth mythology and way out of bounds. This is a boat that makes sense. If you were building a big boat out of wood, this is how you would do it. Now, I only mention that 
Because sometimes in the world today, when we're talking about these things, people love that aren't believers. They like to say, oh, Noah's Ark is just like a fairy tale. It's a mythology. If they're really well read, they'll say, well, don't the other mythologies of the ancient world talk about um, a flood and an ark? It's true. But when you read them, and very few people have actually read them, the Epic of Gilgamesh, if you want some lovely reading later, I do not recommend it. But anyway, uh, if you want to read it, basically it describes an ark, okay, that's a cube that has no chance of floating. In other words, it's a myth. Gilgamesh tells the story. He has a memory of a flood, but he doesn't tell it historically. I'm going to tell you something. When Moses wrote this down, he's telling you history, and it matches with reality. It's possible. It could be done. Why? Because it happened. And here we see a man who is blameless because God does this, gives him this calling, and he is faithful to it. Now, what's interesting to me, and I want to just show you this, Okay, you say, well, my, my goodness, I mean, Noah worked so hard, and because of his hard work, he and his family were delivered from the flood. Well, here's the deal. Noah would have done all that work and still died if it weren't for the fact that God, we are told, closed the door and sealed it. In the end, the ark is an archetype. It's a, it's a picture. It's a type of Christ. Those in the ark are saved. Those outside of the ark are condemned and destroyed. But here's the deal. Noah didn't build his salvation because he still would have died. But it was by the grace of God that the door was closed. We will only float in this world. We will only survive in this world by the grace of God. But we still need to be faithful and we need to do our work. Once again, blamelessness and righteousness, they sound very similar. Blamelessness almost sounds like we're talking about a perfect person. But that's not what the word really means. The word is more of a religious word tied to sacrifices. And it, it's a word that most often means acceptable to the Lord. So in the sacrificial system, there were sacrifices that were received by God as acceptable. And there were those that weren't. Blameless uh, describes those sacrifices that were worthy. Now the opposite of blameless would be corrupt. And in chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, if you take a look there, you see what corruption looks like, and thus you see why it had to be blotted out, uh, washed away. That word blot out can also mean washed away. It had to be destroyed because the creation was infected by sin. Noah was not perfect, but he had a sound soul. He found favor with God. Here was a man who it seems like wasn't perfectly holy, but was in pursuit of holiness. So here's the deal. What does it mean to be blameless? It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're seeking the holiness of God. You believe that God is real. You believe that he is holy, and you are doing everything in your power to honor him. Listen, Jesus was perfectly blameless because he lived his life for Jesus or for God and he never sinned. Jesus never sinned. He was perfectly blameless. So when we say, what does it mean to be blameless? Well, we look to Jesus. He's the model. But let me give you a little bit more insight here. It comes from 2 Peter 3.5. Peter tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness. Now I want you to get this straight. I just told you that we don't hear Noah say a word, but Second Peter calls him a herald of righteousness. And if you don't know what a herald is, that's just a preacher. Second Peter says he was a preacher 
a preacher of righteousness. So here's the deal. We don't have his sermon manuscripts. We don't have one record of his prophetic utterances, but we are told that he was a proclaimer of the word of God. So what does a blameless person do? Well, they are a person who has received grace and is also willing to share grace. So let me say this to you. You can be righteous in the sense that you do uh, the right things. You follow the law of God. You obey the great commandments. All those things are wonderful. But here's the deal. The next step in your character is, is if you believe that you were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, why aren't you sharing it? Blamelessness is, is something that represents a person who understands not just right and wrong, but wants to share the gospel, to care for people, to love them well, to be a herald of righteousness. A crucial aspect of a blameless character is a consistent witness for Jesus. The world is filled with sin, and a blameless person just wants to try to fill it up with grace and truth. Today, I think that many of us, we feel insignificant in our calling. We assume that since our you know, teachings aren't you know, on YouTube or, or because we don't have books published or you know, everybody's checking in every week to see what our latest quotable quote is, that's kind of how it is today. You know, they're really, really good preachers. They have the one-sentence quote and that wonderful, like I told you, that one wonderful picture. You know, I can't do that. I don't think like that. So therefore, I don't know that I'm really called. Listen, it is, that's just smoke and mirrors. So many times, these are people who are called to stand in front of people and talk. That's fine. But your calling matters too. And, and not everybody's called to teach a Sunday school class or preach in front of a crowd. But every single one of you are called to share the gospel. No exceptions. Blameless, blamelessness for you doesn't look like this necessarily, but it means you being faithful to your calling. And that's the problem in the church today is so many of us are expecting the pastors, the missionaries, those who have those big titles to do the big work. But we need you to be blameless. We need you to be sharing your faith day in and day out. Not just doing the right things, but sharing the gospel. And that brings us to the third point. A difference maker walks with God. Noah and his family walked onto an ark filled with every creature, even mosquitoes. Seems like a mistake. The mosquitoes, anyway. All other creatures who did not walk onto the ark were swept away into oblivion. Let me just say this. Where you walk and who you walk with matters. When we talk about walking with God, we're, we're saying, are you walking with the one who created you? Are you walking in the path that he has set for you? The message is clear in the opening chapters of Holy Scripture. God demands us to do all that he has commanded. And when we do less than the word commands of us, we walk less with God. And I'm here to tell you that many of us, the reason why we are not living righteous lives and doing the right thing, the reason why we are not sharing the gospel and being blameless in that regard is because we are not walking with God we are not walking with him every day. We have a relationship that is on again, off again. And I want you to know that walking with God is a deliberate choice. If you're just walking, that's just going to happen naturally. But if you're going to walk in close proximity to God, that is a day in and day out decision that you have to make. You have to want to walk with God to walk with God because everything in your heart is going to pull you in another direction. To walk with God, one must be deliberate. 
and intentional. In the end times, we are told in the book of Revelation 9, 20 through 21, most people are going to, to uh, remain in sin and idolatry. In other words, they're not going to turn from their sin. And this is a sad reality. Let me just say this. When sin takes over, it usually consumes the person whole. There is no short walk in the wrong direction. The walk of sin will take you far from God. Many of the sins that have engulfed you were just momentary decisions that you thought that you would be able to overcome either in the next minute or the next day or the next week. You know, in a, in a humorous way, I think it was Mark Twain who said that he'd quit smoking a thousand times. That's a heart that knows he needs to stop something but just knows he can't. And whatever the vice is that you have, that's the way it is. I'm going to tell you, those walks with Jesus can be long and beautiful. But sadly, most of us are not on that walk. We are walking hand in hand with our desires. Noah was a man who could have easily been pulled away. There were many ways he could have walked. He could have been far from God, but he chose to stay with God. He chose to stay close to the Lord. And the godly walk keeps us safe in Jesus' arms. If you are looking for soul satisfaction, S-O-U-L, soul satisfaction, it can only be in the direct presence of Jesus. We need to stay close to Jesus where he can hold us and hug us and help us through those hard moments. And I look at this passage and I see that our our faith is like an ark. It does surround us. Our faith in Jesus, it protects us from the ravages of a fallen world. Noah's walk was one of humility. It was a, it was a worthy walk, as Paul would describe it in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And the Lord is compassionate with those who walk with him. Our call to missions is a big call. And I know that we all feel very small, very light in the presence of such something so heavy. And let me suggest that I think that's exactly how we should feel. If God is calling you to do a God thing, then there really isn't a rational, easy way out of this. You're going to have to fully trust in the Lord, and that takes great courage and strength because God does not call us to small things. God has not called you to a life that is inconsequential. God has called you to a life that will change the world and turn it upside down for Jesus. In the book of Acts, that wonderful chapter where we are told that the disciples of Jesus were turning the world upside down. As far as I know, we do not know the names of those disciples, but they turned the world upside down because they were faithful. The world may not remember your name, but they will remember your witness, and we need to surrender to the call. We must become the difference makers, and we have to stop waiting for someone else to take up the mantle. Don't think for a moment that you are strong enough, smart enough, or religious enough to make a difference. But you filled with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. It requires righteousness. In other words, find out what God says is right and do it. It's blameless. The love relationship you have with Jesus, share it with others. And it's a worthy walk, walking with God. And when you don't live right, you won't make a difference. You'll just make a mess. And I'm here to tell you, we're watching not just in the congregation, but even in the, in the clergy, in the pulpit, we're seeing a lot of people make a mess of the Christian walk. The world is noticing. 
Our lives are too precious and time is too short. And the call of God too urgent for you to make a mess of this. You are called. Yesterday morning, Brother Victor from Bethlehem Academy said something that shook me up. He's a man who's very talented. When you talk to him, you realize that he has many gifts. And I'll say this, uh, without exception, our mission partners are all men and women who could do amazing things in the corporate world or in the world of academia. Uh, These are very gifted people. But Brother Victor said this. He says, you know, brothers, it is easy to make money. It is hard to make disciples. And I think about some of us in this room that we are focusing our lives, we're thinking about careers, or we're in the midst of a career. We're looking for advancement. We're looking for ways to uh, take over the world. And maybe Jesus is just trying to take over your heart. And I know that it seems like the challenges of, 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 um, you know, building a business or or being successful in business, those challenges seem great. But I'll say this, the hardest thing in the world to do is to take time for hurting people. The hardest thing in the world to do is to walk alongside a struggling brother or sister. I'm telling you, relationships are messy and they're hard and making disciples is difficult. But every single one of you have been called to make disciples in the name of Jesus. You want to be a difference maker? Then be a disciple maker. You want to be a person who's changing the world? Do it one life at a time. And I'm here to tell you that many of us in this room, I fear, are walking down a road of success, but not in God's eyes. We're pursuing a path that is logical, rational, and reasonable. It just doesn't have the Holy Spirit in it. And I'm praying that God will open your eyes so that you will see that your way is not good enough, your dream is not good enough. The only thing that will make your life count is if you will surrender everything to Jesus. What we do is we look to our left and we look to our right and we assume that someone else is called. But it's you. You are the one that has found favor in God's eyes if you are a professing Christian. You are the one who is called to be a light in your generation. You are the difference maker. And it's time for you to do what's right. We always finish with an invitation. I'm not sure any of us even know what that's for. I figure if we knew what it was for, we'd use it more. But anyway, I don't know. The invitation is a a place of surrender. I've shared my story with you all before. In many ways, it's inconsequential. But I remember in Hammond, Indiana, which is up by Chicago, I remember feeling the call of God. And I remember... Totally, it was like, I don't even remember the moment I stood up. I just opened my eyes and I was in a stairwell. There were so many people surrendering to the call of ministry that I couldn't even get to the stage. I could only be in the stairwell. And I knew in that moment that I'd made a commitment to God. I tried to run from that commitment for about four years. I did everything in my power to go the opposite direction. You can call me Jonah if you like. It was one of those kind of things. Fortunately, there's no whale in my story, but eventually I knew that I had to stop running 
I knew I had to receive that call. And again, I was walking away from a future, my future, my plans, my dreams. I had big plans, big dreams, and I was moving in that direction as fast as my feet could carry me. But I'm telling you, I would not find satisfaction because I had made a commitment. That during an invitation, I had made a commitment. And let me just say this. I'm not just talking to you if you're like 15 to 25 and you're in that stage of life where you're making those decisions. Some of you have made decisions. Some of you are going down a path, and it's time to reconsider because a long time ago, God got a hold of you, and you've been trying to ignore that ever since. And God is speaking to you this morning, and he is saying, you are, you are one that I have my hand on. You could make a difference, and you're not following that path I have for you. And what the invitation is for is to stop doing it our way and to give it to God and start doing it his way. Making a difference is not just being present in a worship service or going on a mission trip from time to time. It is receiving the call of God on your life. And you will always know something is missing as long as you say no to the call of God in your life. We need a generation called out. We need people like you to walk away from worldly things, from worldly success, and say, Jesus, I surrender all. And this week, it's no mistake, if you've been here and you've rubbed elbows with some of these missionaries, these are men and women who have done what you know you need to do. They've given you the confidence that it can be done, that God can use regular people to do extraordinary things. You can be a difference maker, but you've got to stop resisting the call of God. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.